Welcome everyone to Ladies of Mumble and for those of you who haven't heard of us and it's your first time here, let me tell you a little bit of uh, what we're about. So Ladies of Mumble is a podcast for mothers who are pursuing two simultaneous things, the motherhood journey and their careers. Um, hosted by myself, Monique, and my co-host, Aretta. Uh, we're both co-directors of Mumble Forum. Uh, through this series, we will be meeting inspiring women around the world, armed with honesty, experience, and a glass of wine, uh, in hopes of empowering and inspire purpose in the life of mothers everywhere. So today's episode is all about uh, forming a healthy relationship with ourselves and with others. So uh, don't we all need that really? <laughs> so that said, uh, I'm gonna introduce you to my co-host, Aretta, who's gonna introduce our special guest today. Today, we are a very lucky Mumble Forum. We have sat down with Michelle Selly. Michelle is a legend in her field. She has many years of experience as a personal coach. All of her programs are bespoke and very carefully curated for each client. She does one-to-one -one support. She does very intimate retreats and she also does immersions. So Michelle, welcome to Mumble Forum. We're very happy to have you. Thank you, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where do you come from? What led you down this path of personal coaching? and what people could expect from a coaching session with you. Sure, I'd love to. So I came from a pretty dysfunctional background. So let's just start there. That, you know, I was adopted into an abusive family system. And then, as we do, I acted out those wounds through my adult life. I had kids, I had a career, and I was managing wounds. And that might sound familiar to more than a few people, okay? And when I came into coaching, I'd become, so just prior to coaching, I was a sales director for a blue chip company. I'd been managing director for a large TV production company. Um, I've worked in cosmetic surgery, recruitment, but my career was pretty, pretty on fleek. At about the age of 40, I met my real father. And that started the house of cards to collapse because you know the truth was that I had had turned the adversity into advantage in some ways just by pure will and was very successful but inside it actually wasn't all that at all so when I had my breakdown it actually was a breakthrough and that's not the first time you'll have heard that, I'm sure. And it's that bathroom floor moment. It's like, I don't want my life as it was, and I have no idea how it's going to be, but I'm getting off this ro roller coaster. And I did. I gave up my blue chip um, uh, role, and I traveled the world for a year and spent every penny and a bit more than I had to work with the good, the great, the cranky, everybody that seemed to know about human behavior. Because I'd been in therapy, I'd had coaches, I, you know, I, I, I really invested, but I was so disappointed in, in, in what I got back. So I vowed that I would create something really special. So when clients come to see me, it's, this isn't textbook coaching. What they get is 20 years of coaching experience, although I see my first 10 years as an apprenticeship, I only really earned my stripes 10 years ago. And I 
put together an absolutely bespoke program for them, for their wounds, where they want to get to, and we take it from there. But it's extraordinary. I love what I do. And um, yeah, very grateful to be here. This sounds fascinating. And I think especially the part when you're speaking about dealing with our emotions as much as we deal you know, with everyday life and our careers and our goals, our husbands, our children, um, but the part of dealing with our emotions is something that probably in the culture, you know, we're, we're taught to hide or put under the rug. Um, being that said, and something that really fascinates us is you work a lot with your clients on conscious mind. Um, what is our conscious and how does our unconscious impact our behavior and mindset? Brilliant. Thank you. What a lovely question. So if you think about your brain as three pounds of absolutely exquisite technology, you've got several parts to it. And let's just work with the unconscious and the conscious right now. The unconscious is what you don't know you know. So if I said to you, what color was your school uniform when you were 10? Can you remember? I didn't have a school uniform, so that was easy. I think I could probably remember what it smelled like. <laughs> wow, so that tells us something else about you, that, that you actually smell before you, before you see. So, you know, you're the first people that's ever not been able to recall that in an instant. And it's so typical, it, it's on a, a podcast. But actually, what usually happens is within a second, somebody will say green or burgundy, or I hated that frog. Now, there was no way that we knew that we were going to be asked that question, but we've got this huge filing system at the back of our heads, okay? Hmm. That is nine, it runs 95% of our life. So in that filing system is every memory, every situation, every person, every relationship, every belief system you've ever had or been given, okay? Hmm. So the Conscious mind is the 5% of, uh, of the brain, if you like, that carries out the orders from the unconscious. So right now, you're breathing, your heart is beating, you're nodding your head at me. You didn't think, oh, I know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna nod my head. That came from your unconscious. Mm. But now I brought it to your attention, it, you are conscious of it, you're aware of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, and then it allows you, therefore, I would assume, to take control, right? To take Absolutely. That control. Well, if you don't know what's in your unconscious mind and it's running the show 95% of the time, you, we can get ourselves in some real pickles, and I know I definitely did. So by understanding the belief systems, the values, the memories, the fears, the contracts we make with ourselves. You know, if we get really hurt as a child, we might say, I will never rely on anybody again. And we become anti-dependent. And then a client will come to me and say, well, I don't let anybody in. Why? And then we have a little poke around. We find that vow that we made to ourselves when we were seven. And we can release it because we've now taken it into the conscious mind. Brilliant. That is, is. pretty, pretty amazing. I think that what's so powerful about that is that when you bring it to somebody's attention, it goes from being something that is unconscious that they don't think about into a choice, a choice that somebody makes. When you bring it to their attention, they decide, okay, right. 
I actually have the power to change this. It's not beyond me. Mm -hmm. and, and if I want to change it, then I can. It's not out of my control. But I think perhaps maybe the road we're going to go down with you is that people are a little bit more in control of their lives and their destiny than they give themselves credit for. Absolutely, they are. And then you can make the decision. You can say, well, okay, what do I need to do to change this? Is that pain worth the gain? Worth the gain? And almost always it is. But again, as you've, you've just highlighted, once we have that knowledge, we're making a choice. We're making a grown-up choice. Who do I want to be? What direction do I want to go in? Okay, what do I need to do to make that happen? And when you put it into your conscious, your awareness, then shit happens. Um, so, Michelle, during lockdown, we know that you've been very busy working with clients. Mm -hmm. Now, this has been a, a tremendously challenging period for everyone in different ways. But I would imagine that relationships are one thing that have been deeply impacted. So what were some things that people could maybe be a little bit more mindful of during times like these um, when they are having their Zoom calls with their um, employees, with their coworkers, with the people that they live with in their household? Um, do you have any... Um, tips for diffusing situations in real life in somebody's home and possibly online that you could share with us? Okay, I think I'd, I'd like to separate, that, separate them if I may, because I think, you know, one in eight relationships suffered badly, at least one in eight, throughout lockdown, to the extent where the government had changed the divorce laws because the, the lawyers cannot cope with the influx of divorces. So that gives you, you know, if you're still with your partner, give yourself a pat on the back. You know, what we found was that we've actually, we were magnet, we're magnifying our relationship, aren't we? When there's no distractions, when we're, we're stuck together, however big your home is, and obviously the bigger it is, I guess, I guess the easier, but for most of us, there was no real escape and there were no real distraction. So you're left with the distilled version, the real version, of your relationship but that can be a good thing and so if right now you've realized that maybe you don't speak enough you're not intimate and I mean intimate as in talking about debt with depth or emotions we can change that because guess what we're gonna do we're now aware of it we weren't before we were too busy but what lockdowns also done for so many people it's made them reassess what's important and rather than running around like human doings, people are starting to step back and value a little bit of really uh, um, me time, us time. And I think that actually the relationships that survive could really thrive with this awareness. But if we go to the Zoom calls, Zoom calls have got, have got some benefits and they've got some disbenefits. So for instance, body language, is hugely important in all communication. So it accounts for about 43% of the experience that we have in any communication. But of course on Zoom, we can pretty much only see from the neck up or the, or the shoulders up. So we're missing all of those important cues that our unconscious mind feeds in and makes a story about. Yeah. So that can put us a little, make us feel a little bit uneasy. So I, what I would say is that start to recognize, be aware of 
how you are responding to Zoom. What do you, what do you find challenging? What do you like about it? Because sometimes we generalize, oh, I don't like Zoom. Zoom makes me feel blah. Okay? Get specific. What is it? And so, remember that somebody's tone, for instance, is so much more important than when, we, when we've got the, no body language to work with, their tone tells us more. So we're putting more emphasis on that. And actually, it's no more important than it was six months ago. It's just we don't have the rest of the, the language. And just saying, even if you start considering texting, how hard, really? It's almost as if you're reading whatever the other person's saying, but you're reading it through your own emotions, your own insecurities. And I've noticed that it, it has created um, a huge gap in communication because um, then you're lacking that obvious. So exactly. That we filter thing. everything through our own experience. So if I'm feeling really down on myself today and you send me a message that says, hi, how are you? And I'm thinking, why? Does she think there's something wrong with me? But if I'm having a good day, it's just, wow, yeah, I'm great, thanks. Yeah. So it's spot on. You know, we actually project our own stuff on the communication. Um, my husband and I have actually made a deal that we do not WhatsApp each other anymore. We do not text because when things um, are misinterpreted through text, we actually spend so many hours trying to recon reconstruct things throughout the day. And it's exactly as Monique has described, where things were actually just misinterpreted because of a tone that was assumed. So we've just made this commitment that if anything is remotely important, then you need to phone the other person. And I cannot tell you how much this has improved our relationship. This one rule, because it, especially during the working day, you can get so consumed um, in your work and that, you know, you just respond quickly to something. And if the other person is reading it, they're like, oh, they don't care. They don't care how I feel. Yeah. I, I, I think that's one of the best advice I've heard in a while, actually. Um, that, that is so true. And, you know, if we were to extend it, and I think one of the things you speak a lot about is the love language and how can it improve our intimate relationships? Um, can you give us some helpful examples of what is love language? Absolutely. Is it, yeah, what we can do and, you know, to bond more with our partners, with our children, even perhaps our entire existence. Love languages apply to any relationship at all. So it was designed by um, a guy called Gary Chapman and the book is still available, but it's a really simple premise. What it's saying is that we all have different languages we value in a relationship. As I say, it was designed for romantic relationships. Now, when we're able to communicate, understanding each other's language, things change. And I work with a lot of couples individually and then together. Um, and, and, you know, many, many marriages have, have, have been saved as a result. And the first place I always go is understanding each, is, each differences but also the love language. So there are five official love languages. I've added a couple of extra, as you'd expect. So the first one is acts of service. So if my husband puts the bin out, he thinks he's a hero. I don't operate on acts of service. It's not important to me, but to him it is. 
So can you see how me negating him putting the bin out or another act of service would really hack him off? Yeah? And I'm, I'm oblivious. Words of, aff words of affirmation are the second one. And so that's where you're saying, you know, your hair looks gorgeous or you're such an amazing wife. It's the words confirming the bond, the appreciation. But again, some people really get off on that. Others, I'd rather you put the bin out than tell me you love me. Okay. Gifts. Now, they're not always expensive gifts. Yes, you can take me down to Cartier any day of the week, but gifts also mean thoughtful gifts. Something you might have made. Maybe you've been walking on the beach and you, you collected a stone and you painted it for him or all sorts of things like that. So again, what we're looking at is what is, what is more important to you, the act of service, the word of affirmation, or the gift? And start putting them into a hierarchical order. The fourth one is quality time. And that's because, that was very, very difficult because, of course, we're all running around like lunatics and not being fully present. So you might be together in a room, but you're on the laptop, I'm on the mobile, we've got Netflix going on over there, we've got the kids streaming. That isn't quality time, okay? So it's getting very, very clear. Again, we're bringing it out of our unconscious into our awareness what's important to us and how we're going to deliver that. The fifth one is physical touch and affection. I'm one of those. I love affection. Yeah, you could, you know, I'll get somebody else to put the bin out, but please give me a hug. I know, I, that's exactly. <laughs> what I mean. The funny thing is, um, if we don't identify whatever our partner language is, we can be deliberately be giving them what we want and for them, it absolutely means nothing. In fact, they might be feeling like you're not trying. And you know, I could say myself really honestly out there, my husband is the guy who would put the bin out and he's like, why is she not patting me in the back? And I'm like, well, that, that's great. I Where's my hug? Yeah. Um, so we, we, yeah, I think it's really important to keep it on the conscious. Uh, yeah, it's, and it's a great thing to do. You know, one of the things I'd really recommend is both reading the book. You can get it on audio, you can listen to it while you're running or on, you know, in a cab or whatever you're doing, but open up that dialogue between you. And I just want to add a couple of, of, of zelly bits, and that is listening and being fully present, okay? So that quality time, I want to be specific. Being heard. Yeah, it's really hard, I guess, with technology, right? Um, and also, I guess as mothers, what we're trying to, to do as part of teaching our children is by example, really. So um, we have got a rule now recently where we, when we're having dinner, we all both put our phones literally on a timeout zone. Because now with energy, is really, I mean, with technology, it's really, really impossible. Um, but I think it affects everyone. But we want to teach our kids this is how it's done. Well, our kid. Absolutely. And it's a really good point because our children don't learn from what we tell them. They learn from absorbing our behavior. So, Michelle, could you tell us a little bit about the differences between intimacy versus intensity? And how do we navigate this? How do we navigate between the two of them? Yeah, now this is, this is a great one. So, intimacy in to you, me, see. 
Forget anything to do with sex. We all know that you can have sex that's not intimate. But true intimacy is being known, flaws and all. Okay? Letting somebody know who you really are, inside and out. But some of us have been scared, have been frightened to do that. Because if we don't feel that we're enough, there's this fear, unconscious sometimes, sometimes conscious, that if they find out who we really are underneath the facade, they won't want us, we're not lovable. So what we do is we swap the intimacy with intensity. And intensity is anything that's strong or high extreme. So often we'll associate it with drama. Have you ever dated somebody that love bombs you? You've met them, you've met them once and all of a sudden, you, now they're, they're texting you, they're sending you flowers, oh my God, I can't live without you, we're gonna be married. Okay, that's love bombing. That's intensity. Get the hell out of there. <laughs> it's, it can be really lovely, but it's not sustainable. And what it's telling you is that the intensity is designed to cover up what can't be there, which is intimacy. Did that make sense? It, I think that that would also, forgive me if I'm wrong here, might describe somebody that kind of bounces from relationship to relationship because it's like that high of that in, of the intensity. And so maybe that's sustainable for a month, for a few months, but it could turn into being like a serial dater right? Yeah. Because as soon as things become too comfortable and that wears off because the adrenaline has, you know, depleted itself yeah. and you're kind of in burnout mode of, of being intense, um, then you close the door on that chapter and you find your next high. That's exactly what happens. And if you think what happens there is the intensity wears down because it's not sustainable, but often what we can do is we get into fights to recreate the intensity. So if you've ever been in a relationship where the fighting and the makeup, that circle, you know, making up sex can be the best sex. And if you can get into a relationship, if you get into a relationship where you don't have intimacy, that can become a very poor substitute, but people don't, aren't aware that that's what's happening. So yeah, very much so. That's very interesting um, because whenever I, I picture in my mind in, um, an intense character, I always come back to Penelope Cruz and Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Her and Javier Bardem have these really intense arguments and it's his intensity, her intensity that draws him in. And I think that you've really clarified the difference between the two here because I think that even I have misinterpreted what that is. Um, but I, thank you for that. Um. Yeah, I, I think there are so many variables that contribute to um, straining our relationships. So obviously lockdown, children, work, etc. What can we do um, to prioritize our relationship with our partners during both difficult times and normal times? We've got to remember what's important to us. And one thing that lockdown and COVID has done for most people is get us to stop and reflect. And when we've stopped and reflect, we've noticed that actually that fear of missing out on going to the new restaurant or getting those new shoes or whatever it was actually doesn't seem so important. It, you know, we've gone back to a lot of basics, you know, playing board games with the family or you know, it, it, it's really changed our value system. 
So I'm going to go back to our unconscious, conscious mind. We take out of the unconscious and put it into the conscious so we're aware that a relationship, any relationship is like a plant. If we leave it in the dark, we don't water it, we don't feed it, we don't talk to it nicely, it's going to wither and die. And a relationship's the same. So truthfully, there is no substitute for making a clear commitment to put your relationship at, as one of your top three values, and, you know, along with your family and maybe your, your career and your relationship. Those three, if you are constantly every day saying, okay, how have I fed my family, my relationship, my career? Is it in balance? Okay. And that, of course, means you must also be feeding yourself, but I'll be coming to that shortly. Self-love is so important, especially as mothers. That's uh, We always put ourselves oh gosh, yes. behind, um, but we believe and we want to encourage mothers to remember that if you do care for yourself, then you have more to give back and therefore your children have more to learn from that it is okay that mommy, you know, um, cares. Yeah. For That's so, exactly it. You're teaching the kids by your example. If you put your self-care as a priority, they're seeing that and the chances are very high. They'll replicate that as they get older. Yeah. And I think one of the um, uh, things that, funnily enough, it became almost a quote. It's like we couldn't go out. So a lot of people have gone inside our, you know, our heads, our problems, our situations. And um, yeah. I'd be really interested to see the next generation. How will they be affected? But, you know, the Corona teenagers, the Corona babies, the Corona relationships, um, very interesting times, isn't it? Sure is. Um, could we talk about those relationships um, that are very difficult to manage, the toxic relationships, the ones that could be between friends or colleagues, uh, colleagues, family members that we find to be draining and very difficult, tricky to navigate. Do you have any tips on how to perhaps diffuse situations and I hate to say it, but at some point, when do you pull the plug on them? Well, uh, another great question. Look, the first thing is you've only got three choices. In any situation, a human has three chance, choices. You either accept it, you change it, or you suffer. So when you drill it back to the, keeping it that simple, okay, now all of a sudden we're going back to empowering you with choices, you're making a decision. So let's supposing that we've got a toxic relationship and that I'm being triggered. That trigger is a gift. We tend to re be reactive to it, but a trigger is telling you where you've got wounding that needs healing. So the first thing you do is you might want to send some energetic gratitude to the person for bringing this up for you. And a trigger, just in case anybody needs, needs uh, reminding, is where we behave, we respond over and above what would be deemed appropriate. So if it's hysterical, it's historical. If I break my nail and I scream and cry and throw myself on the floor, would you agree it's hysterical? That tells you that it's coming from the long way back, okay? So hysterical, historical, it's a nice, easy way to remember these things, okay? But you know your best friend? Boundaries. When you have self-care, when you've got self-worth, your boundaries will start to become natural to you. You're going to have to practice them a little bit, but when they become natural, things are going to change. Things are going to fall into place, especially toxic relationships. 
the way that I see it is you give somebody three chances and you say to them, you know, I, lo I, I love you dearly. And when you say blah, 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 or do blah, blah, I feel so hurt and small. I'd really appreciate it if we could avoid that in the future. And if they negate your feelings, tell you you're being stupid, yeah, and that's what happens is, oh, you're just being an attention seeker or you don't know what you're talking about or you're being oversensitive. That's when you've got a problem. When somebody's not prepared to honor your experience in the interaction. And then we ramp it up and we say, look, you know, I really want to connect with you, but I, I will not continue to feel like this around you. So, you know, can we, can we compromise here? And if there's a no, then I, it, it is goodbye. Or we accept that it's their shit. I'm going to keep my side of the street clean. Okay, I'm not going to let you throw your stuff on my side of the street. Okay, however messy yours gets. This is, this is fascinating because I think it comes down to self-worth. It comes down to self-esteem. And um, I actually got a pretty interesting question for you. Um, so in your work, uh, you tackle self-esteem. Why is self-esteem so important? And what a few recommendations or daily practices that you could advise or listeners to uh, practice daily to improve their own self-esteem? Okay, so may I first just clarify that self-esteem and confidence are different. Confidence is when you have belief in your achievements. Self-esteem is when you believe your intrinsic value. Self-esteem will not change according to what job you have, who you date, what you drive, or where you live. But your confidence might. Okay, so not many people have really healthy self-esteem, if I'm honest. Most people have to work at it. But we put on this lovely front. And when I was a sales director, um, as I said, a blue chip, you know, I had a, it was a really chunky uh, role. I had thousands of people who reported in. What I used to do before a sales meeting, I used to spend all night studying the figures for the last three years so that nobody could catch me out. It didn't matter what you said. I, when you, and I would literally sit up all night on caffeine so that I could go into that meeting. Now, anybody that saw me walk in, my head up, my shoulder pads for, you know, it was those at that era, you know, the old high heels clipping on the boardroom floor, beautiful Gucci briefcase. I looked so confident, but my self-esteem was on the floor. And that's where imposter syndrome comes from. Imposter syndrome is a posh, posh word for I have a role that my self-esteem doesn't match. My skill set, I know I've got my skill set, but my self-esteem is not up there yet. Did that make sense? Totally. And, and I think a lot of us, you know, mothers, non-mothers, I mean, men, you know, everyone probably suffers from a little bit of this imposter syndrome. Is there any tip you could say or that would at least trigger us to be aware when this is happening? How can we stop the spiral? Because it can get bigger and bigger and okay. you actually get to shrink yourself. Of course it can. So whatever we focus on magnifies. And if you're at home listening to this, please write that down. It is such a critical piece 
of personal development knowledge. So if I focus on where I wasn't perfect at work today, okay, so I'm laying in bed and I'm running the day through my mind, that's what we do, and I focus and infatuate on the, on the I dropped the teacup over the photocopier and I didn't get that report in on time, okay? What I'm doing is deleting all of the other things that I got right. So is that gonna make me feel better about myself or worse? Is it gonna feed my self-esteem or my confidence or is it gonna negate it? It's gonna negate it, okay? And I guess there probably is an aspect there of, of energy. Um, you know, whatever, perhaps, it's almost as if you're tackling into the practice of being grateful for what you have, for what you have done right, and then there's a spiral of the opposite, which is potentially in grounding, that feeling of right? gratitude. Gratitude is something that I would plead anybody anybody to to start a gratitude practice and that's just when your head hits the pillow go to sleep thinking about things that you are truly grateful for and don't use the same things every day the universe and that's who you're putting the gratitude out to that's energy loves gratitude because it'll give you more to be grateful of but coming back to self-esteem the brain works on evidence okay so if what I do is I filter out where I've succeeded or overachieved and I hone in on where I could have done better over and over again. What I'm doing is I'm building an evidence file that I'm not quite good enough. Did that make sense? Now, supposing I made a conscious decision every night to write down five ways I've impressed myself today. Okay. And this is something that I, again, it's such a powerful, powerful tool. Where have I impressed myself today? Where have I conveyed my value to the world? That self-esteem. What have I done that's really good at work today? What have I done to impress the team? Yeah, what, that's impressive. Yeah. What have I done that in the smallest way have changed someone's life, have touched someone's life? And I have gone from the banality to like even helping a homeless person on the way to your home, you know. Um, yeah, so that, that's giving. Now, I think we've got just a tiny little bit of a caveat there. Be careful not to get too embroiled in helping because sometimes what we do is we infatuate on helping somebody because it makes us feel good. Okay, There's nothing wrong with that, but we miss helping ourselves. So for sure, where have I helped myself today? And where have I helped others? So I would, I would ask for a balancer there. A friend of mine has started during lockdown this visual gratitude journal, if you will, on Instagram. And it has been one of my favorite things to look forward to somebody else's gratitude. I, I know it sounds strange, but every night, I'm like, I wonder what she's posted today in her stories. And they're little bits of her day that have brought her either immense happiness or appreciation. And I love this so much. I have shared this idea with friends and family because I think that this is something that, you know, you might not want to share on social media, but just being aware of those little bits in, um, in your day-to-day. -day. There was a, um, a day when, you know, in the depths of lockdown where, I was with my children in the park and my son 
made a comment that this was a really good log in the same way that he has now started to appreciate the different qualities of parcels that come to our house because now that could be used for a craft or a forge or whatever and he says mommy this is a really good box and my husband laughs and he's like we have stripped down everything in these children to like for them to be appreciating a box or a stick or what have you but actually as adults it it made me feel like gosh like you know we could learn something from them if this is what they're appreciating you know we could take something away from this too i think that's wonderful and i'd love to i'd love to if you could send me the link on that i think that's such a great idea i'll rehearse with you so that you can have a look at it but it is it's so simple three bits throughout her day that she takes a picture of or a video and she just says these are the three bits that brought me happiness and i mean i look forward to it with pleasure and they're not even my moments but it's little things that make you more aware Um, um, there is something really powerful you said there and um i mean we all know it but it's the power of social media and influence um let alone you know we're not talking about influence we're talking about how the daily content that we we are feeding ourselves um, can have a direct impact on our mental well-being. Um, we had the pleasure of having one of our mumble ladies, uh, Marine uh, Tangui, who is um, an incredible lady, and she speaks about how to consciously make a choice of making content that actually brings something to the table. You know, like try to cut down the narcissistic things and actually. You know how incredible is that your friend is creating such a positive wave that you know it just goes bigger and bigger and bigger and i can't wait to follow her by the way so please start <laughs> is something stay tuned <laughs> um, michelle do you have any words of advice um of how people can improve relationships with themselves and i think that really that is probably the one that will have the greatest deciding factor on every other relationship is how we treat ourselves, how we value ourselves, um, how we lift ourselves up. Have you got any words of wisdom that you could share with us? I think I may have, funnily enough. <laughs> so look, the first thing I would say is, remember that you have 60 to 100,000 thoughts a day. 60 to 100,000 thoughts. Now, how many of those are repetitive? 95%. So in essence, you are brainwashing yourself. So first of all, pay attention to how you speak to yourself. If you wouldn't say it to your best friend, don't say it to yourself. It's as simple as that. Because you imagine if you're beating yourself up and speaking to yourself in a nasty tone, and we often speak to ourselves in the same tone, using the same words as our parents would speak to us. So I can often tell somebody's family history from their inner dialogue. So that's the first thing. Pay attention to what you say to yourself and the tone that you're using. Do you treat yourself like your best friend? Know your needs and wants. That's another often missed trick. So what I want is a donut or a bottle of wine. What I need is a hug and some positive reinforcement. So once I know that, Do I go for my want or do I go for my need? Go for your needs. That is very powerful. Is there 
a way that we could pass this on to our children in a baby step tip. Absolutely. Start to explain that. So when you talk about it, you could say, oh, I fancy a donut. I wonder what it is I really need. And you can play a guessing game. What do you think mommy needs? Do you think she needs a donut or do you think she needs a hug? What is, yeah? So when you start to turn it into a game, they'll start thinking that way. Just exposing to them that, that other... The uh, need and a want. Universe, yeah. Okay, yeah. so the universe always gives you what you need, not what you want. And sometimes people get confused by that. When I work with people manifesting, hang on a minute, Cheryl, I didn't get what I wanted. No, but you got exactly what you needed to clear the decks so you can move into what you want. I think what you said is really key because um, I, an astrologer, a friend of mine, um, kept saying that what you want is one thing, but you need to be ready to receive it. That's exactly right? it. And, yep. um, I think it's key, isn't it? Because we can want many things, but are our, our, our minds, our hearts aligned to be ready to receive it? And how, if not, can we do it? And I guess Ooh. what you said earlier on is about making things conscious back to the consciousness it is and you know if i so for instance i had a client that wanted a certain amount of money in the bank but he kept on losing it he just couldn't get there turned out that unconsciously he believed that if he worked hard enough to make that money he would have to sacrifice traveling with his children in two sessions we were able to dissolve that belief and change his trajectory it was 10 years ago He's currently in Thailand, I, uh, sorry, Bali, um, living with his kids and his wife. Um, and they, you know, traveling and making the money and all of it just cleared by understanding that he had that block, that fear. I think you have just, um, this is the last thing I'll say because I feel like I'm interrupting you, but I think you have got just said something really, really powerful here. And it's something that we stand for, which is mothers have a mental block that we have got to choose what to put our energy into in order to be good at it and what we're trying to um you know spotlight is that you can do it both that you can be a good mother and actually by being yourself and fulfilling your purpose you're actually being a better mother because you're you're leading by example so you know then your kids have something to be proud of that you could say you know um yeah, so, so this is entirely what we're all about. And, um... oh, and that's lovely. So really what we're talking about is you said the hearts, the minds, I'm going to add the gut. So congruence is when our stomach, our heart, and our head are all aligned. So I can have the career and be a wonderful mother. If I believe that intellectually and I feel it in my heart and my gut, my intuition is, is that you, now you're in your power. When one of those is out, then we've got internal conflict. Yeah. This has been such a powerful chat. Michelle, I cannot thank you enough. Monique and I cannot thank you enough. I think that you have passed on so much wisdom and advice to our listeners. And now we have to talk about where they can find you. Um, can you share, can you share all of the avenues where people can follow you? They can listen to you. They can watch you. Can you, can you share all of these with us? Delighted to. Thank you. Um, so the first port of call would be YouTube. I've got a YouTube TV channel and I'm putting my work out there on a weekly basis. A lot of it is lives. It's live coaching. 
but I'm getting a, a really good response from it because what appeals, what, what applies to you tends to apply to them as well. You know, most humans have the same underlying queries, questions, and fears. So YouTube channel, Michelle Zelli, Instagram, I put up lots of stories and there's going to be lots more about um, my gratitudes now. I've been inspired. Thank you. Uh, but really, the whole idea is to infotain. So I shake it up a lot and I put up whatever's on my mind that day, but also whatever I think clients uh, need a bit of guidance on, just to keep a bit of zelly, zelly vision on their shoulder, as they say. Um, I've also got a Facebook uh, coaching page. I've got a personal page and that's full of dogs. You know, it, I'm a dog, dog nut. So it's got lots of personal stuff like that, but you're very welcome to join me there as well. Well, we sure have the zelly bug tonight, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's just been an entire incredible pleasure to meet you, you know, online. And uh, we are delighted to share this with you guys. And, you know, stay tuned on Ladies of Mumble, who, where we, you will find all the different tools and different knowledge and skills that we will hold for you to get them into your uh, ear. And so you can find your sense of purpose and understand that we can do it all. So there we have it, Mumble Forum. This was Monique and Aretta with Michelle Zelli discussing forming healthy relationships with ourselves and with others. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>